Disclaimer. In this story, we will be discussing the sexual assault and murder of a teenage girl. This chapter may be triggering for some listeners. This will be the only warning, so please do not listen if you are sensitive to this topic. Today, we will be telling the story of 15-year-old Riley Crossman. Have you heard of this one? I have not. Um, that's good. That's that's my goal when choosing mine. I'm like, I bet you she hasn't seen this one. I'll do this one. If I haven't heard of one, then I assume that you haven't because you'll tell me about the ones that you do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Riley Crossman was a 15-year-old teenager living in Berkeley County in West Virginia with her mother, Chantel Oakley, and her two younger brothers. Oh, and her mother's boyfriend at the time, Andy McCauley. I'd prefer to forget about him, but we kind of can't for this story. Agreed. <sighs> yeah. This is a classic tale of don't trust a man. <laughs> Don't bring them in. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) So Riley spent her days dancing, singing, and hanging out with her best friend Jasmine and boyfriend Hayden. She was actually a really good dancer. There are photos and stuff and videos, and she's a very good dancer, and she really enjoyed it. Chantel was a hardworking mother struggling to make ends meet, and she had two jobs at the time, and she would work long hours one job after the other. Mm. On May 7th, 2019, she returned home from one of these extremely long work days, and as she didn't feel well, she went straight to bed. She did recall seeing Andy sitting in a chair in the living room as she passed by, heading to her room. She also remembers Riley's bedroom door was shut, but she hadn't thought anything of it, and she didn't want to disturb her. She went to bed. So, you know, that's pretty normal. It's a teenage girl. As a teenager, I'm talking about the mom coming home from work and she kind of remembers seeing Andy sitting in the chair. So there was absolutely no conversation like, hi, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to go to bed. I bet like a little bit for sure. But I think this is more so later on when they're in like asking her, you know, does anything stand out? What can you think of? Like Mm. you start making things that don't feel weird maybe start connecting some dots. Maybe things are starting to look a little weird. Fair enough. I think that's what she was doing there. And she for sure probably said a few words when she came home, but that's just what she remembered. Mm -hmm. Um, Later on, Chantel said a couple of things stood out to her the following morning. For one, Riley hadn't come into her room to say her normal, I'm leaving for school now, bye, I love you. And I guess she did this nearly every single morning. So that was weird. Mm. Chantel got ready for work and drove her two sons to school. Riley always chose to walk um, to school and would leave the house earlier than her mom. And then the mom would just take the brothers after on her way to work. Right. So Chantel wasn't really worried yet. You know, she figured that she had just left for school. Mm -hmm. Around the evening hours on May 8th, 2019, Chantel started to notice something was wrong. Riley hadn't been in touch, and that was very odd. As Chantel had a busy work life, her and her daughter often communicated through texting, so they might have missed each other at home 
many days, but they would always be texting. But she hadn't even received a message back from her. Then, that's weird, right? That is. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Super weird. And sometimes, like, when you get super busy and you're used to not having that constant face-to-face communication, time goes quickly and you realize, like, I even know myself, I I realize, like, wow, I haven't heard from from my daughter in, in a while. That's weird. And that'll you know, spur my memory to text and say, well, hey, oh, why aren't you answering? Why aren't you talking to me? Yeah, totally. And I mean, there, I'm not going to say that um, people think that she's completely innocent in this because they don't. Um, but it's the same internet people that will always find a way to um, bring anybody down in the situation kind of thing. Mm-hmm. The bandwagon of hate So I've seen some people speculate that she also has a drug problem, which Andy does. Oh. Um, But I don't know. I mean, if she was really working those hours and stuff, I wouldn't see when she'd have the time to do that. But Mm -hmm. you know what? We don't know that part. I'm just going off of facts here. So yeah, she didn't even receive a message back from her. But then the call came in from Riley's school. Riley hadn't been at school that day. Hmm. The worry tripled and Chantel started to call anyone and everyone she could who might have seen or heard from Riley. Jasmine, Riley's best friend, hadn't even heard from her. Chantel then called the police. The police took the missing child report as they would any. They received many of these calls of runaway teens and they don't often think too much into it at first. They typically will start their investigation looking for and expecting signs of a runaway teen, such as, you know, a missing purse, missing money, missing favorite items from her room. But when police met with Chantal and Andy and asked for permission to search Riley's bedroom, there was some weird stuff going on right away. So at first, when police entered, and there is footage of this um, on YouTube, if you are interested, just go look up Riley Crossman's case. So when the police first enter the bedroom, it seems like a typical teenager's. You know, it's messy, it's unorganized, uh, a bit all over the place, maybe excessively so in my opinion, but hey. Um, They start to notice things though, like the more questions they ask, the more they talk to the mom and the more they look around. You know, her purse and money were still there and that's super weird. Her glasses that she wore every single day were still there, and so was her school backpack. Oh, very, very troubling. I can only imagine, like, as a mother and seeing these things, just every time you see a new thing, your heart would drop and drop and drop until it'd be devastating. It gets worse. So Chantel was actually confused to see these things, as she had been in the room already a few times, searching for any signs of where her daughter could be. She even had her sons in there looking through stuff. Like there were multiple people looking for the things that are just magically in her room now. Since the last time that she had been in the room, things were moved and added. Her glasses and backpack hadn't been there before. Like her mom had said that the backpack was missing to police and then they walk in with police and it's just sitting in the middle of the room. Yeah, see, and I I actually thought of that, like... If you're in there trying to find out where your daughter could possibly be, I think that would be the first thing I'd notice if her regular things like her purse and her backpack were still in there. I think I would notice that right away. 
Oh, yeah. And like I said, in the middle of the room, like she would not have missed it. And you can hear it in her voice that she's talking to police, too. Um, So Riley was obviously not a runaway and her mother knew it. So let's listen to this clip of officers in her bedroom and the moment Chantel got confused about items in the room. Here we go. This is the only mirror we have like this. So I came in yesterday morning and I don't remember that being there. I feel like I would have noticed her boat bag still being here and especially her glasses because I, this is not exactly the way it was. I've been in here digging and looking to see if there was a note or anything like that. Okay. Super weird. Yeah. Like you can tell, you can tell it's genuine. Like she, she, that's not how she remembered the room being. Yeah. She had been in there a number of times before. I I mean, I, I don't. I don't hear any deception there. It's pretty, no. It's pretty on the spot, genuine. Like, am I going crazy? Why is this stuff in yeah, here? Like, like I don't no remember. Way. Yeah. Yeah. No. Huh. So suspicious. suspicious. Uh, the police then noticed something horrendous. They spotted some blood on Riley's sheet, duvet, and pillow. The blood on the pillow was heavy, and there were obvious imprints from Riley's face. Oh, my God. So two nostril holes and her mouth had bled into the pillow when someone assumedly had pushed her face into it. Um, Police started searching everywhere and questioning everyone. They brought in canines to check around the house and school, but nothing turned up. Her cell had been turned off, so when they called the phone company, they couldn't pin down where she had been on May 7th. The fact that her phone was turned off was highly out of character. Riley's friend Jasmine knew her well, well enough to know that Riley wasn't a runaway, and so did Riley's biological father and Chantel. The police kept digging. It was kind of nice because the police actually listened to, you know, her family, Riley's family, when they were saying, like, no, this isn't a runaway case. Sometimes police are like, yeah, yeah, whatever. Like, we get these every single day. But there was just something in everybody's voices and stuff that made the police take this one super serious and knew that there was something going on. So they start questioning Andy. He's all over the place in the first interview and gets caught in lies later on. Um, but first, I just want us to have a listen to a piece of the first questioning. When's the last time you, you saw her? Uh, about nine, maybe 10-ish. At night? Yeah. And, and, what, and what context was that? Oh, uh, she was here in the house. She went to bed probably, well, I don't know what time she went to bed, but she was, all the kids were in the room by like 9.30, 9, 9.30. Did she ever leave in the morning? No. I left four, I got up four, five in the morning, left five. Okay. Go to work. So, yeah, it's a very short clip there, but you can just hear that he's, like, all over the place. And you can't even understand, like, what he's trying to say. In my opinion, he kind of sounds like a crackhead. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I mean, you can't tell a whole lot from that little clip, but you can tell he's not as genuine as the mom. And I will say it's probably harder to hear it, but that clip is from a video, oh. a police video. Um, like where you can actually, yeah, body cam. Okay. Okay. And you can see him kind of sketching out a little bit. Okay. <laughs> He's got a little bit of crazy eyes going on. <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, he's all over the place. Normally, according to Andy's co-workers and even Chantel, he would be the type of worker to keep his co-workers waiting in the morning. So they would have to call him and sometimes even bang on his door to hurry him up to get outside and into the truck. Uh, he worked in construction and he actually didn't have his driver's license. So they would come and pick him up. Hmm. And so, yeah. They had to carpool. He didn't really have a choice. Uh, but the morning of May 8th, he couldn't wait to go to work. So totally out of character. Riley's missing. And here he is just itching to get to work. He was the one to call his crew to hurry them up that day. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he first claimed to police that he arrived at work on time and didn't leave until it was time to go home. But his work totally outed him and confirmed he had an absence of about five hours that day. And not only did he have the absence that day, he took the truck. <laughs> he took the work truck. He took the work truck. Without a driver's license. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure they let him and they didn't really care. Oh. But. But they knew he was gone for that amount of time because he, he had took their the truck. work truck. Yeah. Stupid. <laughs> so stupid. So officers naturally wanted to know what the hell Andy did in those five hours. And so they brought him back in for interview number two. And I'm going to play another short clip from this interview so that we can kind of just see the difference going on here. Let's listen. Hey, do you not remember leaving that job site down to Red Hill? Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. We did go to it. Did, I'm sorry. We did. You're right. Okay. You're right. We did go to it. It did a shell. How, how long were you there at Red Hill? Like the rest of the day. Okay. Like the rest of the day. Okay. Were you at that house the entire time fixing the shelves? No. Okay. Where were you at? I was at we had, I was at the other house. Okay. I went and got some we went to got some I went and got some more drugs. Yeah, so not too suspicious. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, 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 right. You're, oh, you're I right. totally forgot about that one. You guys are right. You, you're right. You're yeah. right. I'm wrong. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I love that. Here we get more drugs. So that's important, you know. Like he claims he was doing drugs. Oh, this sounds like a winner. And this is so typical for killers to do. You know, they offer a smaller offense, hoping that the police will believe him more. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, he's admitting to doing coke? Then he obviously would tell us if he killed Riley and tossed her off the side of the cliff. Right. Like, that's what they actually think. They think, oh, look at this over here. And they think that they're hiding the other thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So he changed his story many times and police started to suspect Andy in the disappearance of Riley. It just so happened that the morning of May 8th, Andy happened to leave his phone at home. So they couldn't trace him or find out where he had really gone via cell phone. Really? You know, just a coincidence that day. Oh, I left my phone at home all day long. And even though I left work for five hours and had the truck, I still didn't feel the need to go get it. You know, totally normal stuff. Yeah. Oh, suspicious. <laughs> So yeah, they couldn't trace him or find out where he had really gone via cell phone. So they needed to track him in a different way. So they started to pull CTV footage. The first camera that they tracked him from was Riley's school as his construction crew had been working on a project for or around the school. I'm not mm -hmm. sure. They watched as he left and rather ripped out of there. And like the police officer said that they were like, yeah, no, we watched him just tear out of there. 
Wow. So he, it seemed like he was in a little bit of a rush for some reason. Do we know what time? Like, is that early in the morning that he ripped out of there? Like, before she would have left for school or? Um, spoiler, but she's already dead. Oh. And he then went home and backed his truck up to the back door of the house. And then he took off. And they don't have camera footage of him backing up to that door, but they were able to follow the footage from the school, find out that he went home, and then the neighbor confirmed that they watched him back that truck right up to the back door. Hmm. Really weird. Not a garage, but an actual back door? Back door, yeah. Hmm. I think uh, think of like a trailer, how like the side of the house has uh, an opening. Oh. Very. Uh, like a car part, a carport type thing. No, not even, you know, he would, he drove, he would have drove on to some grass to get back there. So it was abnormal enough for the neighbor to look out and go, wow. Oh, he must be taking something out, whatever. Well, this guy is extremely stupid. Stupid. On May 10th, police learned some pretty important information. Hayden had received Riley's last messages on the night of May 7th. Hayden was going to D.C. the next day and they had a small argument triggered by the fact that Riley was going to miss him. And, you know, she said some other things Mm -hmm. that normal teenage relationships kind of had, like, don't cheat on me while you're gone, like that kind of stuff. And Riley later texts that she's tired of arguing and wants to go to bed. She says goodnight and they do some back and forth. And Hayden says, so we're not calling each other. And then he says goodnight, and then she says, I don't care. (laughs) And they go back and forth a few times, and Riley sends a real goodnight text that he doesn't see as he had already fallen asleep. And so Hayden would have fallen asleep around 10.30 p.m. And he had been sleeping when Riley messaged, quote, Andy's in my room, I'm scared. What? Yeah, what? it was just so sad because if he was awake, and I'm sure he lives with that every single day, like, oh, if I had just seen that, but it gets even crazier than that, right? So Andy's in my room, I'm scared. She ended up sending another message that just read, babe, like obviously trying to get his attention, mm-hmm. but he didn't know that. So Hayden states he only read the <gasps> babe text and then just deleted all the messages what? without reading them. Yeah. Yeah. Who would do... Who... Right? I mean, he was also a child at this time. Yeah, but... Oh, man, people, don't delete your text messages. You never know when you can pull that stuff up. Like, if you're in an argument in five years with Riley, you could pull it up. Yeah. And say, this is the conversation. Like, I never delete anything. I get the shivers just thinking about, like, just the crazy coincidence, like, not wanting to put anything on this kid, but also being like, if that was an adult, I would be way more ruthless about this situation. Yeah. Um, but on May 10th, he notices his Apple Watch still has the messages. He has oh. the notifications, and he reads them, and he's shocked. He takes them to his parents, then to the police. So at this time, he already knows that Riley's missing. Then he looks at his watch and goes, holy shit. Andy was in her room, and now she's missing. Wow. Right. Sad. And deleted those messages. Could you imagine the guilt? Same Mm -hmm. as uh, 
you know, the Idaho and how they tried to call Jack 10 times that night and nothing to do and probably wouldn't have stopped anything. But the guilt, could you imagine? Just terrible. Terrible. Traumatic. So, yeah. The only way that they could track Andy was utilizing video footage of that construction crew truck traveling. Like, did they have, like, geotracker or no, nothing? No. On no. Star? Police are doing the most work. They are doing CTV footage, gas station to gas station. Oh. Uh, if they lose him, they're asking residents. Residents are providing a video footage where, boom, the truck is right, there. okay. Um, and oh. sometimes they just get lucky yeah. with finding some of it. Oh, this is 2019. So I just thought of that because most companies like in Canada, in Canada, if you have fleet trucks, we all have tracking devices, tracking software. Um, yeah, that's allegedly all these coworkers in this construction crew may or may not have done coke. And oh. sounded like they were all kind of a part of it. So I don't really think that they uh, were big on safety and tracking and stuff like that. Oh. Um, you know, in that small clip of that interrogation, you kind of hear him talking about how he went to a certain house. That was the house that they would, or at least he would go to, to get coke. Huh. Um, so, yeah, they follow gas station to gas station, and they lose him once during tracking, but are able to actually ask some residents for their footage, and they find him again. They continue to track him, but lose him yet again. But his ex-girlfriend states that she saw him at the proper time at another gas station, which fills the gap and allows police to continue watching him during those five hours he was missing from work. The trail ran cold yet again for days after this, though. So then they brought in a canine again, uh, but they brought it around Andy's truck. So and cadaver dogs, I believe they're called. Yeah, the cadaver dog, the canine. Mm -hmm. It was trained to smell decomposition right, right, right. and it alerts to the back of the truck so they know that there is a dead body in the back of that truck at some point mm -hmm. and they needed to find where that truck ended up as they fully suspected that andy had loaded riley's body into the back of the truck when he took off from work uh, and they believed andy killed riley the night of may 7th really early may 8th and left her body slash hid her body in the room until he could get away from work. Okay, so going back yeah, go a back. little bit mm -hmm. to Hayden. Sure. What were the timestamps on those messages? And so he started getting them at like 1.30 a.m. Oh, terrible. Yeah, like he was sleeping. Yeah, yeah, sure. yeah. No, I'm just wondering yeah. like what time was he in her room, right? Like, Yeah, and actually there's reports that... Um, he went in there a couple of different times that night and there is some really confusing information that I could not figure out. Like I spent a while working on this one and they, they question Hayden cause his testimony can be watched by, you know, the cameras away from his face and they ask him like for details surrounding the fact that like there may have been a time that they were on a call or FaceTime and perhaps she texts him to say, don't say anything. So he doesn't know you're on the call. So it, it sounds like Andy actually went in her room a couple of times that night. Maybe not every time was 
creepy. Right. But he wasn't really leaving her alone that night. And then at 1.30 a.m., she was scared. Disturbing. Very. So. So I don't know if you're going to get into it, but in my mind, I'm thinking he did what he did. He was in a hurry to get out of the house, so he was bugging his crew to come and get him. That's the whole story that I've built here. Yeah, exactly. Like, I didn't feel a need to fully outline it because, like, I felt like this story spoke for itself. Right. So, like, do we know what time? Are you getting into what time he took that work truck from his site and went back home? Do you know what time it was? Because, like, how long did he stay at work knowing that Riley's body was in the room? You'd think he'd want to get back there. That's why he was in a rush. Before mom got up, before... No, that's the creepy Gentile. part. Yeah. That's the creepy part. She, the body would have been hidden in that bedroom after the boy, like, he would have left for work before. Yeah, her Chantel, body still would have been and there. And Chantel would have been awake and gone, and the body was still there. Okay, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, did for he sure. come back right away, grab no. the body, and leave before Chantel got no, out? No, that body was hidden. Okay. He wouldn't have been able to move it if she was still there, right? Mm-hmm. So Chantel had left yeah. for work. The boys were in school, and then he could come and back. And then he came back. You know, what like a 10 a.m., 11 a.m., oh he could go God. back and do it. What a diabolical Piece of shit. Freak. Yeah. Well, he more like a, like a panicking crackhead who... You'll hear about it kind of in a little bit, but his defense is all around him having an addiction. But, um, see, it's plenty of, I don't mean maybe, but plenty of people are addicted. Plenty of people have mental illness. Totally. That's why he blames abused, it on, is blah, blah, blah. what I mean. Don't they always? Like, For I'm so sure. sick to death of listening yeah. to these people blame their crimes on their drug abuse, their childhood. All of it. Take responsibility. Call yourself evil. You're just a sick fuck. Yeah. That's the end of it. Cocaine maybe gave you the courage, I guess, to go through. It was already in your mind. It it was in its mind for sure. For sure. So one of the officers frequented a small store just outside of the town. And he asked one day to see their footage just in case. And there it was. The construction truck drove past, heading up a mountain, and too soon after the truck had gone up, it came right back down. There was no reason for someone to travel up to just come right back down. Like That's what police said. They were like, we know for sure that he did something suspicious because it's either you're taking that road to go somewhere specific, which is way longer than what he was up there for, or, you know, you're going, you're wrapping all the way around back into town anyway, because it's pretty much a shortcut. Um, hmm. So there was no other reason for him to be doing that. And they knew this was it. They knew that they needed to get up that mountain. So police raced up that mountain and they started to search, but it did not take very long as there were a lot of birds in one area. It was this area that they found Riley's lifeless body on the side of a cliff. So he he tried to throw her off. He rolled her off. Yeah. Lazy puke. Right. Police believed Andy was high and entered Riley's room with intentions of sexually assaulting her. When she started to freak out, he had to make her quiet so she didn't alert anyone and ended up killing her. 
This was confirmed during trial by his attorneys who were fighting the charges as Andy was high and didn't have intentions of murdering Riley. He just wanted to sexually assault her. Oh, is that all? (sighs) Right? Needless to say, the jury convicted him. On November 4th, 2021, he was convicted of first-degree murder and child abuse resulting in death. He received life in prison without the possibility of parole. Gotta love the American justice system. Yeah, if you're a criminal, I guess. If you're, whatever, if he did that here, he would be parole in 15. Oh, yeah, for sure. Gotta love American justice system because it's a lot better than ours, at least. Yeah, I guess. Like I guess the like fifteen years versus a hundred years, yeah. whew, that's quite the jump. It is. It's it is. horrible, and this guy, like I, I really recommend everybody just go and watch the videos. I'm gonna of this stuff. It's so interesting, and to watch like the police and what they go through to track that truck mm-hmm. to figure it all out, and just watching pretty much everything on camera. One of the investigators end up taking a video of Hayden's watch as he scrolls through the messages. And so it's all there oh for you my. to see. It's just super that is sad. so tragic. I just, that he got those messages while he was sleeping. Didn't even, didn't even think about it. Deleted the message. Probably normal for him. Yeah. Well, he was and probably he so mad. Them on his, on his. Mm -hmm. like on his watch he was going to dc he probably wanted to dismiss it like Mm -hmm. being like oh my god i'm kind of sick of like being hounded and now she's bringing up cheating so he was probably like you know what screw this i'm gonna read it i'm deleting this and you know what that is so typical for teenagers and like how you're feeling and it just it it can go so wrong and it's just one of those things that you gotta have in your mind you just don't don't delete it. You know, if you want to open it, get rid of your notification and then send it to the back. Do it. But That's right. Yeah. Keep it uh, where you can grab it. Yeah. The biggest takeaway from this case, from what, I mean, I would say 75 to 80% of the people who I've seen that are talking about this one is very much so um, the lesson of not bringing your boyfriend or you know just a man into your house when you don't know them very well you know like it can be anyone and you know you're you're a mom struggling so it's really hard to like think about it that way but this this is the reality of today's world it is and i mean with with Everything that's going on, even if you're not into true crime, a lot of people still watch the news and these stories, they happen all the time, just like um, grooming in the internet predators and stuff. I mean, it's happening more and more, um, but it's more publicized. Even if you're not following true crime, you know this stuff is happening, so you have to be more aware. Yeah. Of who you're letting around your kids, whether and what you're allowing your kids to do. Yeah, all you of know? it. Cracking like, down. I mean, even doing this podcast and finding out some of the things you did when you were, you know, 11, 12, 13 years old surprised me. It did. Like, I had, I had no idea that you guys were on Nexopia or whatever it was. And when you said that, it, I mean, it, it blew me away. I had no idea. 
what it even was, to I be honest. I think the craziest part about that is that, you know, just like you and just like any other parent, you know. You just don't know, I guess. Because, like, you did not know. Because it was on the family computer and we'd be on it with you yeah, cooking Yeah, that's what dinner I'm saying. Right like, I us. had no idea that that was going on. What I knew exactly you were on the computer. Be. Yeah, th- that's exactly it. Not a clue. Like if if my other daughter was sitting there and chatting with her friend that lives two blocks away, or that's what she's telling me, I don't know at the time. I didn't know that anybody could be messaging her. You know what I mean? I thought it was more like a phone where you're phoning this person, you're talking to them, only now you're on the computer. I'm not making excuses for myself. I'm just saying you don't know what you don't know. I think that there are a lot of uh, parents especially in your generation who actually missed a lot of it but i feel like the new generation is very painfully aware of it because exactly we all did it Mm -hmm. and you know like our stepdad you know he found out about my sister doing something bad with somebody chatting online once and it you know it was a huge deal for sure but that was just because he found out the one time when friends were getting together and stuff, you know, it was Omegle. It was, it was any online thing. And it was always talking to now that we know probably older men pretending to be young influencers or something. I remember a time when me and my friend thought we were talking to Jesse McCartney. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're 12, you're 11 and you're a little, you have no idea of it. Yeah. Yeah. I was I was stupid. He sent us a photo with a signature on it. So we thought it was really him. They'll say and do anything. Yeah. So yeah, no, you you really gotta kinda hammer down. It's it sucks, but you do. You do. We totally went off topic, but it's no different <laughs> than young mothers, even though, you know, you're working two or three jobs just to keep food on the table. That's you know, you see you meet somebody who's a great guy, whatever, and they work and they're gonna help you. Provide a better life for your kids. Sometimes it's just not that cut and dry. And it's not that easy. And like it sucks. And it's really hard to do it on your own. And you shouldn't have to do it on your own. I agree with all of that. But it's like be so careful about who you let into that house. That's right. Put your kids safety first. Especially if you are not going to be there all the time. That's right. So yeah. That's that story. It's super duper sad, but uh, it's also a little short. (laughs) So if you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends. If you don't mind giving us a five-star rating, it'll help our show grow. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube at True Crime Story Podcast, where the discussion can continue. If you wish to contact us, you may do so via email at truecrimestorypod at gmail.com. I'm Bree. And I'm sure. And we'll see you on the next chapter. <laughs>